0: Good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? I want you to you greet your neighbor and say, man, it's good to be sitting next to you this morning. So, yeah, as, as Jeremy said, we want to thank you guys. You guys always do a great job in participating. We were able to get gifts for like 60 kids and and, and families, and so we're grateful for that. And thanks for chipping in, pitching in with that. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand clap for that. You guys bring a little energy this morning. I wish I was a high energy guy, you know, so I could I could get you guys going a little bit better. But uh, but pray, yeah, there you go. Praise God. So it's we're glad for that. The other thing, I, just to update, I think I mentioned it. You care to turn this mic down one half of a notch? And uh, and I mentioned it last um, last week, but we did. Uh, We did our giving campaign this year, and we we ended up getting somewhere over just over $40,000 of receiving that. So that's great, and and that's going to help us moving forward. And we're going to try to give about 20% give or take of that to Heart and Soul Life Center and Chad's Hope. So, again, give yourself a hand for contributing to those wonderful ministries. That's a very positive thing. We love those ministries, and they're doing a great work. And so... uh, so we're glad for that. Now, I, I want to go ahead and preach a message kind of here in the Christmas vein uh, called In the Waiting. And as I was thinking this week about, about just Christmas in general, one of the things I thought about is just how anticipation is really all... It's, it, Christmas is about anticipation. Would you all would y'all say that? And I don't know, when you get older, it gets weirder. But I was kind of like reflecting on as being a child uh, the anticipation that I had, like how many of your kids right now are really anticipating what they might get for Christmas? They're pumped, they're pumped up about it. I told you a story one time about my nephew. We're actually going to see him later today. And uh, Andre and I got him a gift one time and we got our niece a gift and she opened hers and she was, man, I mean, she was thrilled. It was like a big Squishmallow kind of a thing. I don't know. And she was rolling around on the floor just thrilled to death to have it. And then he opened his and he went, I'm not very pleased with mine. So, I mean, his anticipation was shattered. He was expecting something that would rock his world, you know what I mean? And, and that's, that's kind of the way that we... I have a vivid memory from, from my childhood where, you know, the, just how, how excited I was to see what was going to show up under those trees. And I got some of the dumbest stuff, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like I in 1994, I, I found a video. We watched a video a couple of weeks ago um, with my mom. And in 1994, I was just a little little tyke, you know what I'm saying? And back then, you watched a square TV, and they had advertisements wide open constantly. Like you couldn't stream something and avoid a commercial. So they sell the kids something dumb, and the kids would be like, "I gotta have that." Anybody know where I'm coming from? You ever been that way? Yeah. And I got sold on a Frankenstein called Big Frank. And it say, fix me. You know what I'm saying? And, that, and I, got, I got that toy on Christmas thinking it was going to solve all my problems as a child. And it was the dumbest toy I ever received in my life. What a letdown. Have any of y'all been there? Have any of y'all been there where you had that anticipation? And you know, toys have changed over the years, but I think I think uh, no matter the age we are, we all got we all got this thing in us, man, where we've got anticipation. We want things to happen. And the thing is, is in our lives, ultimately, it's the same type of thing, whether it's presence or not. What we want this year coming up in our lives, we want good health, uh, we want peace, we want to not be fearful, we want our, our needs met, we want our children happy. Uh, we, we, want, we want all of these things, and, but here's the thing, no matter how hard we try to build it, or no matter how much money we try to make, or we try to gain it this way or that way, what we actually find over and over and over again if we pay attention is that we actually have to have an outsider, somebody from the outside to bring those things into our life, and His name is Jesus Christ. No matter how hard you fight, no matter how hard you try to earn it, you can't buy it, you cannot buy those things that you're longing for. But there's this anticipation, and this has been something about the Christmas story from the very beginning. And Isaiah 61, the prophets would talk about this over and over again because they had this deep longing and this deep anticipation that God was going to do something and He was going to intervene. And in Isaiah 64, Isaiah cries out at this particular time. There's this buildup of all these prophetic words about what is to come. And He's, imagine getting the vision of the crucifixion imagine getting a vision of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and one that is going to set the captives free and then all of a sudden you just can't take it no more and he cries out oh that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down This is 500 years before Jesus was born in a manger that He's crying out, Lord, we want You to intervene. And this was a prophetic word that somehow one day God was going to come down and He was going to intervene in a real way. Have you ever been in that place though where you're literally just crying out, God, that You would rend the heavens and come down? That your presence would show up in this situation. You would intervene. You would move. This is the cry and the longing of all of our hearts. And then on that day, 2,000 years ago, when God took on flesh and was born in a manger, born of a woman in the fullness of time, what God did was He rended the heavens and He came down. And He was among us and He was with us and Jesus revealed the Father to us. But see, it was a five full centuries when He said, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down before Jesus was born in a manger. And when Jesus was born in Israel, listen to this, Israel had not been a sovereign nation for eight centuries. They had been under pagan leadership. They had had promises from the very beginning. Listen, in in the book of Genesis, they knew that there was a demonic power that was running the world, but they had a promise that one day the seed of the woman was going to crush the serpent's head. They had a promise in Isaiah that this man was going to come and the government would rest upon his shoulders. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And they expected that when he came, he was going to set the captives free because he was going to be anointed with the Holy Spirit spirit and so they're waiting and they're longing and they've been under oppression for so long under different empires under different governments man they're waiting for it for so long because now in jesus's time they're under some of the worst oppression they've ever experienced roman governmental oppression and they're crying out for jesus they're waiting for a messiah to come and they've got all of these promises but they're still believing still waiting still suffering still dealing with it, and they believe that all of this suffering is going to come to an end. Now, I want to say this because a lot of times people will ask the question even like, well, if Jesus came and you say that on the cross He destroyed the powers of darkness, how come the world is still the way that He is? How come when He came the first time, He didn't just fix things? And see, what you have to understand is that what Jesus did when He came the first time was that He brought an end to sin, to suffering, to pain, to death in principle... But ultimately, you only receive as much of that as you come into agreement and into alignment with this new creation reality. When we understand that Jesus has defeated sin, we can learn to live a holy life. When we understand that Jesus has defeated death, we're no longer afraid or living in the fear of death because we know that even if you take our breath from our body, on the last day, God is going to raise us up again. We understand that Jesus has already stripped Satan of all power and authority, which means that if we stand in who we are in Christ and we resist the devil, he must flee from us and he has no place in us any longer. So in principle, Jesus has defeated all of those things, but in practice, we still have to step into that new creation life. But we're longing for a day when we no longer have to step into and by faith receive that new creation life. We're longing for the day when Jesus comes and establishes it establishes it eternally in our lives. So they waiting for the first coming of Jesus to come and do His work, and now we're doing the work of Christ in this time, waiting for Him to come and establish it completely. But Advent is a time of looking forward, and we all go through personal Advent seasons. That word Advent is just the way that we talk about, the church talks about celebrating the time of Christmas. It means coming, but it's a time of great longing. Like, you ever been in a situation, maybe you're dealing with struggles relationally or in your marriage. Uh, Maybe you're dealing with grief. Maybe you're battling addiction. Maybe you're battling fear and depression. And you're longing for God to come into this situation to deal with it, to do something. Maybe you've hit, taken one hit after the other, and you're just saying, Lord, I don't know how much more that I can take. And you're longing and you're waiting for something to happen. And even in this world, if you live in this world long enough, I think if you're like me, you get to a place where you're just like, Lord, I would really prefer you to come back. Anybody ever feel that way? And you're, you're actually longing for that reality. And I think one of the things that the world does is it tries to tempt us into believing that somehow in this world we actually have it better than we would have if Jesus were to return. And I can promise you that is not the facts, y'all. And, and Christian people understand that. People that throughout the centuries have went through some difficulties, they begin to understand that. But we all go through these Advent seasons where we're longing, and we're waiting for God to intervene. But I want to give you just a few points while we're waiting. In the waiting, there's a few things that we've got to understand. And number one, in the waiting, you've got to understand that God is cultivating His character within us. Advent is for cultivating patience. How many of you all, you're very patient? I mean, when I got up this morning to make coffee, I was upset about it. Because it took a little bit longer than I was wanting it to take. Like, yeah, I got to grind the beans. I'm one of them dudes, you know what I'm saying? I'm grinding the beans. I'm putting the beans in there. I got to let the water percolate. And I'm not that patient. I don't know about you. But patience is a prime and a supreme virtue that very few of us actually have in this world today. Very few of us have the biblical spirit fruit of patience but it's a prime virtue and see James 1 2 through 4 it says this and you wouldn't you wouldn't think this my 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 brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials he doesn't say you know get upset or Or he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, which is a strange thing. But he says this, the testing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what he's saying is, is I know you don't want to feel it this way and you'd rather have the breakthrough right now and you'd rather have comfort and peace and ease, but you've got to understand that God has a greater purpose for your life than you just having everything work out flawlessly he wants to develop character within you and this scripture actually says that you should learn to count it joy when you fall into various trials because it will actually test your faith and produce in you patience so that you can learn to get through things and focus on God while you're going through it knowing that he's going to change me more than he's going to change things outside of me. And we say, we say stuff like this all the time, but to actually get that in our lives, I, I'm, I'm, I'm developing a habit right now in my own life that I'm not very good at, but I'm developing this habit of when I get aggravated and I go through things that I would rather not, is ask myself, God, what are you currently doing with this and how are you currently using this to change who I am and how I respond to situations? He wants so badly to change our character and to work patience in us. And look, here's the thing. He says, if you allow patience to have its perfect work, you will be complete and entire and lacking nothing. He said, but I lack all kinds of things. Not if you have patience. Because here's what Teresa of Avila said. She said, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. I want you to meditate. I meditated on that for quite some time this week. The fact that patience obtains all things. As somebody in Christ, you need to understand and it needs to take root in your heart that because you are in Christ one day, you are going to inherit all things. Every sick body is going to be healed. Every relationship issue is going to be resolved. All the fear and anxiety and depression and mental torment that you've gone through will be alleviated completely. Your patience and your endurance, no matter what you go through, is going to obtain for you all things in Christ. It's just a matter of waiting. It's just a matter of being patient and allowing God to develop this in us so that we obtain all of those things. So we learn to look at life through a formation lens and not an accomplishment lens because when we look at life through a formation lens, we can go through a whole lot of stuff and say, you know what, God's using this. He's making me something different because the goal of my life is not to have my best life now. The goal of my life is to become as much like Jesus as I possibly can until He comes back and He gets me. But if I look at it from an accomplishment lens i'm thinking how can i do my best and feel my best and pursue happiness at all costs rather than how can i become more like jesus so the question is what how is god shaping this in me and so god's not going to waste anything in your life jesus told john the baptist because here's what can happen sometimes jesus told john the baptist when he was in prison about to be beheaded he told him blessed is he who is not offended because of me in matthew eleven six. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Have you ever been offended at the Lord? Maybe you've not actually come out and said it, but have you ever been offended at the Lord and what he's, what he's done in your life? Maybe, maybe he demands too much. I mean, he actually demands your life. And maybe he demands too much. Maybe you pray and he doesn't answer as you thought he ought to answer. Maybe he didn't answer in the time that you wanted to answer him. And so you you start to work this thing out and you're thinking, no, 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 if Jesus was really who he said he was supposed to be in my life, it would have worked out differently. But see, God has plans and God has purposes that are sometimes bigger than ours. And we've got to get to a place where we do not get offended when Jesus doesn't do things the way that we want him to do them because he sees things that we don't see. Now we should pray, man, and we should believe God for the miraculous. I think as a church we have only scratched the surface of what God is actually capable of doing and the transformation and the healing and the deliverance and the freedom that He can bring. I think we've only scratched the surface. I think we don't often believe enough, but I also think that sometimes we want those things without pursuing them and then we get aggravated, frustrated, and offended when they don't happen the way that we want. And so we go through this life... And we wrestle with these things, and I've got a couple of questions. My my couple of questions this morning would be, how do we conduct ourselves in a difficult season of waiting when we're confused, when we're miserable, when we're dealing with a painful time? And then number two, how do we hang on to hope when there doesn't seem to be any hope? How do we do those two things? When there doesn't seem like there's any hope in the situation, and when we're waiting and it's a very confusing and difficult situation, how do I conduct myself and how how do we hold on to hope? Luke 1, let's look at the life of Mary as she's getting ready to give birth uh, to Jesus. It says, Luke 1, 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying And the angel departed from her. Now, this is interesting because Mary is engaged to this guy, Joseph. This is what it says. And Mary, get this, y'all, she's about 13 or 14 years old. I know we think that's weird in our culture, but women got married back when they were 14 years old back in those days, and they had babies. That's just the way that it was. You'll be all right, okay? So, 14 years old, she's engaged to Joseph. She's about to have a child, and all of a sudden, an angel appears. I want you to imagine 14-year-olds in our culture. Maybe there's a couple of 14-year-olds here this morning. An angel appears to to you. He looks probably a lot like any other man, but he, he has a different demeanor. There's an awareness of the glory of God in this person. And he shows up and he begins to tell this 14-year-old girl, hey, you found favor with God and you're about to be the channel through which God has chosen to bring all of these promises that all of your people have heard about for years and have been longing for and waiting for. And you've heard even as a child, Mary, you're about to be the channel through which those promises are going to be birthed. Imagine the weight of that in that moment. I don't even know if you could hear that as a human being, much less a 14-year-old peasant girl. But, you know, here's the thing. He says, you're blessed. You're highly favored. My thoughts are, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of favor here because I'm about to get impregnated by the Holy Spirit and everybody around here ain't going, how am I going to tell the man? I mean, literally, some of you all that are engaged right now. Imagine you're a woman coming and you say, listen, honey, you ain't got to worry about it. Like, I'm pregnant already and it's the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't go over very well, would it? And so God even has to do a little bit of dealing with Joseph to prepare Joseph's heart for what is going on and an angel ministers to him and says, no, 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 this is real, this is reality. You need to receive this. This is a supernatural occurrence where I'm breaking into the world and you all are chosen, but it doesn't seem very favorable because before Joseph understands that and knows that, he has the right literally, according to Deuteronomy 22, to bring her out publicly, have her hair let down and strip her naked and stone her to death. I mean, that's a bad deal. I don't know if, I, if y'all would be excited about that. She would be considered at this point an outcast throughout her life, uh, a, 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 a group of literally what would be called the untouchables. In today's world, if you get pregnant at a young age, generally the community will get behind you, support you. But in those days, because they had such a holy standard of conduct, that was not, that's not how they played games back then. And so so when that happened, you could beg if you wanted to, but you probably weren't going to get married. And and you just had to figure out a way to make your way through life if you were in this situation. And so I imagine the fear that is coming upon her is probably crippling. But here's, here's the second thing you've got to understand, is in the waiting, when you have these promises from God, when God talks about favor being on your life because you're a Christian, and make no doubt about it, you are highly favored and blessed in the Beloved. You are favored and you are blessed, but you need to understand that favor is more about presence than ease. Favor does not mean that your life is going to increasingly get more easy. You may be able to handle life and life situations a lot better, but favor is, he says, listen Mary, you're highly favored. you know what he then says? The Lord is with you. You're not highly favored because your circumstances are going to be perfect. You're not highly favored because people won't ever question what you're actually doing. You're not highly favored because people won't criticize you. You're highly favored because no matter what you go through in this life, the Lord is going to be with you and He's going to sustain you and ultimately you're going to fulfill His will and it will resound throughout eternity. Your life, Mary, is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult when she goes and delivers baby Jesus and takes Him into the temple. There's a man that prophesies over her that a sword will pierce your heart also it's not going to be easy mary life's not going to be when you're waiting and you're struggling remember life is not going to be easy but the lord is with you the lord is strengthening you the lord is giving you wisdom if he has to he'll give people dreams he will protect you and watch over you not everybody will like you many people will question you some will reject you some will even be hostile to you if you serve Jesus. But favor is not about ease, it's about the presence of God being with you in that situation. You know, if I was a 13-year-old girl, I thought about this. Like, 13-year-olds, they don't tend to have a real robust sense of global consciousness. You know what I'm saying? They're not thinking about the well-being of planet Earth, really. They're thinking about what can I, I I want to date that boy at school. You know, like, those are the times. Those are the types of things that 13-year-old girls talk about. You know what I'm saying? Anybody amen me this morning? Y'all, y'all know I'm not trying to hate on 13-year-old girls. Um, anyway, I used to be a 13-year-old boy, and it was worse. <laughs> but my point is, is if it, it, you know, at 13 years old, she, she would have said, listen, uh, I appreciate this, Gabriel. I mean, <laughs> really means a lot. But, but I, you got to understand, you're bringing me into something. I'm already a Jewish peasant girl we're under oppression, my family ain't got no money, we're broke, we barely got food to eat. Like, all these promises coming to pass, that's good, but do you see how this is going to impact my life? This is going to take the suffering that I'm already experiencing and probably multiply it by 10. And, And so here's the thing, I'm cute, I got a dude that I'm about to get married to, There's a girl that's about 17 years old. She ain't that good looking. Her name's Ruth down the road. Gabriel, I bet she'd be interested in because she ain't got that many good options. I'm just giving a hypothetical. But Mary didn't do that. She responded in a much different way. In verse 34, let's read it again. Then Mary said to the angel... How can this be? She's wanting to know. Literally, I'm 13 years old, but just like every other 13-year-old girl in the world, I know how this works. How can this actually be since I don't know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived in a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to, uh, to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It says, he says the whole, how it's going to happen is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, in some church circles, we think the Holy Spirit coming upon us is for us to get our blessing or for us to get our fix or for us to even dance a jig and thank God when all of those things happen. But can I tell you this, that when the Holy Spirit truly comes upon somebody in power, it moves far beyond those, those small things. When the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody in power, it changes their destiny. It's not something that they get as a fix on a Sunday morning. It's something that changes who they are throughout the week. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, it changes your purposes and how you act on a regular and a daily basis. And the Holy Spirit comes upon her in this particular reason why, to form Christ in her. That's what's happening. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you know what's going to happen more than anything else? He's going to come and He is going to form Christ in you and you're going to become more like Jesus day in and day out when you walk with the Holy Spirit. He says this, and I love this. He says, the power of the highest will overshadow you. Now, I had really read this a hundred times and thought to myself well that doesn't even really make any sense and i just sort of skim on by but the more that i thought about that have you ever even considered the word overshadow to overshadow something means to be more important or significant by comparison now sometimes people mary is elevated and mary should be honored and rightly so but ultimately what he's saying is you know what the power of the highest is going to overshadow you mary Because a lot of times what what people want is when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they want to be magnified. They want their gift to be praised. They want their role and their part to play to be just, oh, wow, look at what you're doing. And and, and all of these things. And he says, no, but what you end up to understand as a 13-year-old girl, Mary, is this isn't about you at all. This is about my plans being used. And the power of God is going to overshadow you. Because really in this whole thing, you're actually still very insignificant. Amen. No matter what God calls you to do, you need to understand that it's not about you. And the more that you can die to yourself and realize this has nothing to do with my purpose or my plan or my destiny or what God's going to do in my life. This has everything to do with me dying to myself and saying, God, your will be done in my life so that you will be magnified. Overshadow me so that it's no longer about me and it's all about what you want to do in the world and I will yield to that. She says, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. I'm willing to yield and say, Lord, let it be according to your word. And then in verse 37, I love this scripture, but it says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. That's what the angel says. Now the word there, if you look at it, the word nothing in verse 37 is actually two words and it's it's no rhema. And if you understand Greek, maybe you've heard it before. The word rhema means spoken word of God. And what the angel is saying is that if God speaks something, it contains in itself the power to fulfill itself. And when God says something, nothing is impossible. So when this word of God comes, Mary, you can hold on to it and you can trust it. And no matter what challenges you face, you can hold on to it because with God, no word that he speaks will ever find itself becoming impossible. My dad used to say, you can't drive a Cadillac up your nose. I don't know why he said that. But you really can't do it. It is impossible. It's not possible. So Somebody said, well, anything's possible. I said, no, 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 that ain't true. Anything is not possible. You cannot drive a Cadillac up your nose. Amen. Nobody is laughing at all. They're just like, that's dumb, Clay. And we're tired this morning. Uh, But my point is, is that there are some things that are impossible in this world. But when God speaks a word, nothing is impossible. When God speaks a word, nothing is impossible. And so we move into that. So how do we conduct ourselves in the waiting? And and number three, in the waiting, we offer ourselves to the Lord and ask, how can I be used to bless others? See, this is what she's doing. She is setting herself aside in the waiting, so to speak. And she's willing to say, I'm willing to give my whole life to this thing. I'm willing to set myself to the side. And in the waiting, I'm willing to offer myself to you, Lord, and say, I'm nothing but your maidservant. And be it to me according to your word. How can I be used to bless others. So when you're in the waiting, because here's the thing, many of you are going through a situation, you want God to deliver, you want God to bring transformation, and you know what? We come together and we support one another in that. I believe that when we got a brother or sister in need, and they're praying for a miracle, and they're believing God for something, we should come alongside of them, we should pray, we should fast, we should believe God. But understand this, sometimes when you're waiting for God to move, you can become so self-focused that you forget that when you're waiting, it's not only about seeking your own deliverance but also seeking the deliverance of others. It's important to understand that because honestly, when you're going through a difficult time and you're waiting on God to move, you can become so self focused and so focused on your own situation that you actually start to wallow in self pity. You can get in doubt. You can become like a vacuum and very self focused. And God's saying, there may be some times in life where it's going to take some time for my plan to develop, but while you're doing that, yield yourself to the plan of God and say, it's not just about my deliverance, I'm going to be used for the deliverance of others in this situation. amen Amen. we can get lost in complaining and comparison we can say how come they're healthy and i'm not how come they have children and i can't how come they're rich and i don't have money to get anything why is life so unfair to me and here's the thing sometimes i'll be honest with you life is unfair you ever notice that like sometimes people get some breaks and the other people don't sometimes bad people get more better breaks and good people get the worse and you sit there and look at life, He's like, God, this is random as all get out. Like, what the heck is going on, man? Like, what, what, are we, what are we dealing with here? And we start to compare ourselves and we get our focus on ourselves and we get into this blame and into this comparison and into complaining. And God is saying, no, 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 you need to understand that my plan is still unraveling. And if you will set your eyes on me, you'll have every single thing that you need. I will sustain you and I will use your life to benefit others even in the midst of your struggle. So question two, how do we hang on to hope when there doesn't seem to be any hope? Number four, in the waiting, here's what I'd say. According to this scripture, we exercise faith in what God is going to bring to pass. No matter what you're going through, if you are willing to go to the scripture, you can find a promise from God. And this is honestly why we need people who will seek the Lord and be sensitive to the Spirit of God, who know the Word of God, that can speak a word from the Holy Spirit in a time of difficulty to the people around them to encourage them and strengthen them and say, remember what the Lord said. Remember what God says in His Word. Here's something that you can hold on to while you're going through this because you need to release faith in the promise of God because otherwise you're going to stare at your circumstance until it's magnified above God Himself. And you don't think God can fix it, you don't think anybody else can fix it, but when you've got a word from the Lord, you can trust and hold on and hang on to hope knowing that God is going to be faithful to His promises. So we exercise faith in what God is going to bring to pass. If you remember, Mary pregnant, ends up going to Elizabeth who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And Elizabeth sees Mary coming. John the Baptist leaps in her womb for joy and she addresses Mary prophetically as the mother of her lord she hadn't even told her yet that she was pregnant the spirit of god starts to work in this story and words begin to be released and faith is released like crazy and here's what she ends up saying in verse 45 elizabeth tells mary blessed is she who believed prophetically she doesn't even know that she believed she had an encounter with an angel she was pregnant all those things came to her supernaturally and she says for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told from the lord understand this oftentimes in our lives you need to understand that biblically belief determines fulfillment what are you willing to believe god for are you willing to search the Scripture and grab a hold of God's Word and apply the promise of God to your life and say, Lord, I believe this with all of my heart and I'm holding on to it, I'm hanging on to it and I'm waiting on you to act and to bring it to pass. And she says, blessed is she who believes for there's going to be a fulfillment of those things. Now, there's a problem here because if you remember, the angel comes and tells John the Baptist, hey, you're going to have a baby too, old man. You know what John the Baptist does? He asks a question very similar to what Mary asks, but he has doubt. She's asking how it actually is going to happen. He's saying, I don't really believe this. You know what the angel does? I'm going to shut your mouth up for about nine months because I don't need you to speak a bunch of negativity and a bunch of doubt and abort the plan of God in this situation. So the angel had to shut John the Baptist's mouth for nine months and until the baby was born, this man wasn't allowed to speak anymore because he wasn't going to allow his negative, complaining, doubting mouth Abort the plans of God. I do believe that you can abort the plans of God for your life because you speak evil out of your mouth. Because you speak unbelief out of your mouth. You have to have a belief in the fulfillment of what God's Word says. Verse 46 through 55, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Now, the last part of that song, if you listen very carefully, she is celebrating for things that God has seemingly already done. Now, if you read commentaries on this, they say that it's something very specific. It's something called proleptic voice. Basically, she is so full of the Holy Spirit and the promises of God are so overwhelming her in that moment that she's speaking prophetically and saying, He has brought down the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Well, guess what? He ain't brought down the proud yet. They're still ruling and reigning. Matter of fact, two years from now, Herod is going to try to kill her baby boy. But she sees it in the future because her heart is not just, imp- she's not just impregnated with baby Jesus. She is now impregnated with the promise of God and faith is being released at such a level that she's speaking into the future and saying, I see a time when God is setting all things right. See, there's something that gets in your heart where even when you're in the middle of it and you still don't see the fulfillment, you are possessed by faith because you see the promises of God as greater than anything else that is going on in this world and you speak into the future and you say, I see God doing it. That's what faith is. Y'all ain't getting near as excited as you should about that. I just say that this morning. Amen. We got to bring coffee back in this church. (laughs) She doesn't base her faith in the future on her circumstances, but on the promises of God. See, that's what Hebrews 11, 1 faith says. It's faith is the substantiating of the things that you hope for and the conviction of things that are not yet seen. Literally, you hope for things. You see them in the future. But when faith possesses your heart, you get such a conviction that you substantiate those things as if they are already here. That's what faith is. I know that I have this thing that I'm hoping for. It is as real to me in my mind and in my heart as if it was here in this moment. Faith looks to the future, grabs hold of it, and it becomes a conviction in your heart so that you can push forward. And now, because these promises are becoming to be fulfilled, how do you think she deals with all the difficulties and all the people that complain about her? You know what? You can deal with somebody calling you a bad name when you know God has done this thing in your life. You can get through it because you've heard the word of God and he's spoken to you and you've got strength from heaven that they don't know anything about. So in the waiting, God is up to something and you've got to put your faith in what God is going to bring about. In the waiting, here's the last one, number five, focus on the end game. I want to mention one more woman here and I read about her every year and for some reason I'm drawn to her. I don't know if it's because it's my mama's name or what, I don't know, you know. Uh, but, but it's a woman named Anna, and when Mary has baby Jesus, she brings him at eight days old into the temple because that would have been their laws. And, and, and here's the thing, God is moving an old dude named Simeon so much that in a temple where there would have been thousands of people, the Holy Spirit moves him at the right time to walk in the temple, and he sees this baby that is just like any other baby, and he knows that's the one. And he prophesies over Mary and he prophesies over baby Jesus that this is the salvation, this is the light. He said, now I can die in peace. I've been waiting for one thing. He'd been waiting for one thing. He said, now I can die in peace because this one thing I've been waiting for has now been born and I see it. Then Anna, all of a sudden this woman comes in. Here's what it says about her. Interesting. It says, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Now, this woman, it says she was 14 years old, she was married. Her husband died when she was 21, and she was 84 years a widow. Can y'all do the math real quick? You know how old that woman was walking up in there? 105 years old. And it says from the time... Listen, she lost her husband when she was 21 years old, and she spent the rest of her life... Now, Jewish people would have known reading that, this is a 105-year-old woman who spent most of her time in prayers and fastings in the temple, and they had actually had a hero of faith, so to speak, Uh, There was a woman that everybody knew about that was very interesting, and and her name was Judith, and this same woman was, guess what, 105 years old. Served God in prayers and fastings night and day. And so that brought their mind to this woman. But here's the thing, this woman lost her husband when she was 21 years old. And she got impregnated, so to speak, with a promise from God. And from the time she was 21 until she was 105, she had set her heart not on what she could receive in this life, but what she could receive from God in the here and now and ultimately in the hereafter. Something switched in her heart, and it says, you know what? She said, because I lost my first husband, now this gives me an opportunity to set for the rest of my life with my true eternal husband. And I know that's a difficult thing for people to understand, but something happens in her heart where she's serving God with prayer and fastings, and in the waiting, you start to set your goal, your your fix, your gaze on the end game. Where is God actually going with this whole thing? Because we want God to move in the here and now, yes, but sometimes in the waiting, we need to also look to what God is doing in the end. And she gets a glimpse of what God is doing in the end and she sees His promises and she's praying and she's fasting. And you know, when we start to look at the beginning of the year, I know all, everybody gets excited because we start talking about things like prayer and fasting at the beginning of the year. And here's the thing, I don't know that there's a greater spiritual practice than prayer and fasting. She worships God with her prayer and fasting. And when you pray and when you fast, basically what you're saying is, I'm disconnecting from the things of this world because I want to get a hold of things that are not of this world. I want to tap into things that are not of this world. And she's spending that time with God so much so That she is living in the reality of the presence of God and she says, you know what, there's nothing I could want more than the presence of God in my life. There's nothing I could want more than the peace of God in my life and the revelation that God is bringing me currently. And she lives that lifestyle until she's 105 so that when that baby walks in, every other person around the room looking at that baby thinks, oh, another baby. But she knows in her heart and she begins to tell people of the redemption that's coming to Israel. She says, You know what? The most important thing you could ever be waiting on is the redemption that is here now. Yeah. This redemption that is here now. And she was aware of it because she was tuned into the Spirit of God. She was tuned into the Spirit of God. And she causes us to look toward the end game. I'm going to read this last scripture because for Christians, we're kind of in this spot where we're invited to another type of waiting. They waited on Jesus in His first coming and now we're waiting on Jesus in His second coming. And get this, I love this scripture because this, this right here assures me of a crown no matter how bad I get it wrong. Now there is in store for me, Paul said, the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Now, how many of you, if you searched your heart, would God be able to look in your heart and say, you know what, that is a person that is longing for me to come back? And I want you to consider that because often what I think is what we're longing for is for God to do what we want Him to do in our lives right now. God, just do this for me. Just give me this. Just give me that. Give me this. I want you to do this. I want you to move in that. Thank God when He does, because He does, because He's a good God. But there's something that moves in our hearts when all of a sudden what we're longing for is Jesus Himself. Lord, we want You to come back. And you will literally be given a crown of righteousness simply because in your heart you said, Lord, I don't want this world, I want You. I don't want this world, Lord, I want You. And something switched in her heart. her whole life, year after year after year, she said, Lord, I don't want this world. What I want is you, and I want to pray and I want to fast so I can be in tune with what you're doing in the world, and I'm willing to yield my entire life to this whole thing. I want you to consider that because here's the thing every single one of us, we need to envision concretely the end game. Because at the end of the day, what you got to understand too is every single one of us have, an, have a terminal illness. I know many people get sick. They die, sometimes they die prematurely and we grieve and it hurts and we hate it because death is an offense to God. But every single one of us, if God doesn't take us out of here and we're not transformed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye, we all have a terminal illness and every single one of us will face death. And the most important thing is that we have our hearts and our minds set on the coming of the Lord and we have prepared ourselves for that moment. Amen. And I want you to consider while you're in the waiting, think about these things. What is God developing in you? How's He changing your heart? Who is He asking you to bless in this moment? And and how is He shifting your focus to this end game? And what is He wanting you to believe for right now? What's the Word of God to you that He's wanting you to believe for? I want you to consider these things. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. And here's the thing, if, you, you know, if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus, here in a moment, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand right now, but, but I, I would ask you this. I, I believe there's something about responding to, to Jesus because the Scripture says, Scripture says, that if you deny me before man then I'll deny you before my Heavenly Father that's what Jesus says but if you confess me before men then I'll confess you before my Heavenly Father and his angels and if you've not given your life to Jesus I'd give you an invitation after we pray here just to come up to this altar to come up front and to pray and to say Jesus I call upon your name I'm asking you to save my soul if the Holy Spirit is drawing you I would ask you to respond to him in that way and to let somebody know and maybe even allow us to come and pray for you but for the rest of you I want you to ask in the waiting What is it that the Lord is wanting to do in your heart right now? So Lord, we just pray for each person this morning. Maybe they don't know you, Jesus, but Holy Spirit, you are drawing them. And I pray for such strong conviction. Do not allow them to go another moment, God without responding to your salvation and without truly turning, not just hearing another message or not just saying I'm a Christian by the mouth, but Lord God, truly giving their heart and their soul and everything that they are to you, Jesus, and saying you are the Lord of my life. God, I pray that you would draw them with the spirit of conviction now. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that you would help us to realize that in the waiting, you're doing something in our hearts that is bigger than us. And Lord, when we have Your favor, we have Your presence. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is easy. So I pray for supernatural strength to sustain these folks, God. And I pray that they would get a hold of Your Word and a hold of Your promise so that they could have the faith to believe, God, that You are going to come and show up in this situation in Jesus' mighty name. So Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, as we worship, as we sing, that You would just continue to move among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to worship together. And like I said, if you need prayer for anything, if there's something that you want us to believe God for with you, if you need healing in your body, you need reconciliation in your family, you need something that God needs to move on, we'd love to pray with you up here, but respond to the Lord. You want to give your life to Jesus? I say respond to the Lord this morning. Take a moment. Let's worship together.